Thank you, Roberta. Good morning, everybody. We are, Roberta gave us a good uh, indication of what today's message is, all about the, the shadow and our true identity and the mistaken identity with which we uh, tend to approach life. So that's what our conversation is on today. And we are, of course, basing this Lenten series on Reverend Robert Brummett's book, Birthing a Greater Reality. So I'm going to go back, though, to last week. Last week we talked about, you know, those um, things that we get caught up in, the status quo that we get caught up in that keep us from evolving, you know, to our next greatest level. So I invited everybody into an awareness of what is the status quo that you've been living into and that you know it's time to uh, move beyond, to transcend. So how many of you did that spiritual practice? I see a few hands. So does anybody want to share? What did you learn? What was the status quo that you found yourself living in, that place of comfortability? Anybody want to share? No? Yeah, Brian. Yay, Brian. Did anybody that paid attention this week, did you realize how much that feeling of uncomfortable keeps you in that place of the status quo, right? Because I don't want to go into that place of uncomfortableness. That doesn't feel very good. So that's a part of it, isn't it, Brian, to recognize all of the areas in my day that I resist because if I go there, it will make me uncomfortable. And I like to stay where I'm comfortable. So I'm going to share one from... Kate, Kate Zirkel gave me uh, permission to share this one. So Kate, wave at everybody. There she is. So Kate approached me this week with an email and told me how she recognized she was in the status quo, and that is that she was in the status quo in her giving here at Unity Spiritual Center. So for those of you who uh, didn't do a spiritual practice this week, here's one you can do right at service today, right? So Kate realized that she comes to church, has been coming to church, and she has in her mind already what she's comfortable giving. Does that apply to anybody else here? And in her place of comfortableness of what she's comfortable in giving, she just automatically gives that. It's become habit, you know, automatically to put that $5 or $10 or $100 or whatever into the basket without any thought, right? And so Kate realized that she needed to move out of that status quo. And to go into that place, as we remind everybody to do each week, don't come with your knowing of what you're going to give, but wait for that moment for God to inspire your giving. And so uh, I thought I would share that with all of you, because it's a great practice for all of us. So thank you, Kate, for bringing that up to us. So we're moving beyond the ideas of the status quo this week into our mistaken identity. And this idea of our mistaken identity. So we come into this world completely in our essence, right? In that natural essence of what we are, that divine essence. You know, as a, as a newborn, we come into that, into this world with that, fully intact. Right? And then life begins to um, crowd in on us through our parents, through our other family members, through our friends, through society, through culture, and and we begin to realize that there's more. There's more than this identity. So my question for you as we begin is, so who are you? Who are you? Who are you? Have 
Anybody want to answer? Who are you? Child of God, John says. I'm a child of God. Who here is not a child of God? Right? So that's true of everybody. So what makes John unique as that child of God, right? Who are you? Yeah, Joe. I am an evolving person. Is there anybody in here who is not an evolving person? I'm trusting you're all here because you're all here to evolve. So what is it about you, Joe, that makes you a uniquely evolving person? Who are you? Who am I? Who else wants to give this a stab? (laughs) Mary Lee. I'm a woman of God. Okay, so that eliminates part of the audience. (laughs) But nonetheless, right? We all have the divine feminine, Jerry. Thank you for reminding us of that, right? So what is it about that divine feminine in Mary Lee that it makes you unique. It gets challenging, right, to, to come up with the words to describe that that is within you. So we all here know, you know, I am divine and I am the Christ expressing and there's something in me that knows that it knows. Does everybody experience that? That something within you that knows that it knows. But what is that? So in our book, Birthing a Greater Reality, Reverend Brummett shares a story to kind of illustrate this conundrum that we find ourselves in, right? Of how do we, how do we talk about or know about that that we know? So he shares this story about imagine you go into a dark room, totally dark room, and you have a flashlight with you. And when you turn on the flashlight, you can begin to see all the corners and all of the spaces of everything that is there in the room. You can see it all, the floor and the walls and every electrical outlet and everything else. You can see it all with that light from the flashlight. But what's the one thing that you can't shine that light on? Well, I can shine it on myself, but the light itself, right? As Rita says, I can't shine that light from that flashlight onto the flashlight. And that's what kind of happens for us. There's this I that is beyond all of the things that I would say that I am, that I can't, can't quite put my finger on. So how do we go about experiencing it and knowing it better? So there's one thing that I know about myself. As I shared last week, we, we, there's this idea of divine mind consciousness, right? And that that divine mind consciousness gets denser and it then comes through as human consciousness, race consciousness, the collective consciousness. And then it gets a little bit denser and it becomes my individual mind. And then it gets even denser yet and it becomes this physical body, right? And it's the same thing. The same thing is true because some of you did say that I can't shine the light on myself. I can't, I can't see myself, right? I can go around and I can see Christy. There you are, Christy. And I can see my hand going out to Christy, but I can't look back at myself. Except for one way that we all know of that we can look at ourselves every day, right? How many of you look into the mirror every day and see yourself, right? But even here, as I look into this, this is not me that I'm looking at, right? It's an image of me that I'm looking at. An image of me that was created by this mirror. So I know it's an image of me. 
I know it because when I look at it and I look at myself in the morning and I see that dang skin hair again, I don't go into the mirror to pull that skin hair, right? Because I know that's just an image of me. And I don't look at the image of me and see a blemish and go, oh, I've got to take care of that blemish. I don't do that because I know that's just an image of me. But my question is, why do we do that then with life? Those things that are within ourselves that we see out there in the mirror of life. How many have heard that, that life is a reflection, a mirror for me? Did you all, have you all heard that before, right? And so we look out into that reflection of life and we say, oh, that looks terrible. We need to fix that out there. As though we could fix that out there. How much time and energy do you spend trying to fix things out there in the mirror of life out of forgetfulness? That that's just a mirror. And that where does the, where does the change, where does the transformation need to occur? Within ourselves. So just like I know that's just an image of me, and if I need to change something, I need to do it here. I can look out into the life and see the mirror of life there and know that I need to change it within myself. So it's beautiful the way life has been set up for us so that we can see the very things that we need to heal within ourselves reflected in the world out there. When we're very little, as I began saying, we come knowing that divine essence of who we are. And because our parents were likely not totally enlightened, anybody have a totally enlightened parent that never made a mistake? Anybody? Right? So those ones that raised us, not with malicious intent, not consciously, but unconsciously, in their own unconsciousness, likely made some mistakes, and those mistakes began to take root over that divine essence that we are as we tried to figure out how we were going to survive in this world. And all of this takes place, by the way, at a very unconscious level within us, right? So I watched, you know, my little granddaughter, Zoe, at three, who's already learning, you know, how to manipulate the world. We learn so very young. We learn what we need to do to keep ourselves safe. We learn what defenses to build around our hearts so that we're not vulnerable because that vulnerability may cause us to get hurt. We may have come to recognize that. So we all put into place these habits, these behaviors, these thoughts, these ideas that were created to help us to survive, created to help us to stay safe. But in the process... We see through that, through those um, ideas, that's how we see the world. That's how the world then gets mirrored back to us. So let me share with you my own personal idea about that. So I grew up with this idea that I needed to be a good girl. I needed to be a good girl and do the right thing so that I would be loved and accepted and safe in this world. And you know what? Being a good girl, that, that works. You know, it works. 
But there were parts and pieces of myself that I had to deny if I was a good girl, right? Like, what do you do with anger if you're a good girl? What do you do with your creativity that wants you to expand beyond the bounds of what a good girl would do? What were you encouraged to be? You know, the good boy. The one who couldn't show any feelings. Got to be a, a good boy. Right? All of those ideas that we took on, and when we took on those ideas, what do you think got covered up? Ourselves. That essential nature of who you and I are. As we recognize and realize the patterns of behavior that we've set up to keep ourselves safe are no longer keeping us safe. Because what are those patterns that we have been stuffing within and pretending, that's not me? How then does it get relieved and released in our lives, right? How does it then show up? You know, for me, the good girl, if you push my button long enough, John, I'm going to get angry with you. You could get angry with John here, couldn't you? Such a sweetheart. But you get it, right? Like all of a sudden somebody pushes your button in just the right way and all of that anger that you've been stuffing down and pretending it's not you because I'm a spiritual being. I can't feel angry. Eventually, it has to be released. It has to be let go of. And most of the time, it then gets released and let go of in a very reactionary response to somebody who doesn't deserve it at all, but in that moment just hit me in just the right way. What else do you think that you shouldn't experience because you're a spiritual being? Spiritual beings don't experience sadness, do they? Depression? Anxiety? Sure, if you're a mature spiritual being, you recognize that you embrace the whole of who you are. What Jung called the shadow side of us. Right? We are invited to embrace that shadow side of us as well because that is a part of who I am and who you are. And as long as we're denying it and pretending we are not that, guess what has control over us? side, that ego side, rather than the spiritual side, our spiritual nature. Jesus is our, I was thinking about this, Jesus is our way shower and teacher. Did Jesus ever get angry? Jesus did get angry. I mean, so the immediate story that comes to mind, right, is the overturning of the money changer tables, right, and his anger turning those over. But I also went to the cross. Because what did, what did Jesus say? One of the words on the cross is, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Is a spiritual being supposed to be feeling forsaken by, by God? Aren't we supposed to remember we're one with the divine? And if I'm a good spiritual being, I'd never go to that place of thinking, God has abandoned me. Anybody ever have that thought? Obviously, Jesus did on the cross. He didn't deny it. He didn't say, oh, I better not say that. This is going to get written about in 2,000 years from now. They're going to be reading these things. And he embraced that feeling that rose up within him. I feel forsaken. I feel abandoned. I feel angry. I feel afraid. I feel scared. 
whatever the, the feeling is. And the final word was, into thy hands I commit my spirit. He didn't stay there, right, in feeling forsaken. By embracing it, by accepting it, it was resolved within him. So in the end, it was, here I am, and I'm one with you again. Into your hands I commit my spirit, God. But it has to be accepted. It, it has to be embraced. Because here's what happens when I don't embrace those things within me, when I pretend that they're not happening, when I try to stuff them back down. They will show up for me in the mirror of life, and what I will do and exhaust myself doing is trying to fix them out there that are showing up for me as that anger, as that sense of separation. Those ones out there that, that I blame, if only they. How many of you have heard yourself think this in your mind, if not speak it in your thoughts, if only they, if only they, one. It's the mirror of life showing up for you so that you can see those shadow parts of you that you need to claim, and that you need to own, and that you need to accept. What happens when we do that? If we, if we own our anger, I think what we're afraid of is that then we will be just an, an angry mess. If I own my sadness, then am I going to get sucked down into the pits of despair and not be able to find my way out? We fear the emotion. And so we push it away rather than simply allowing ourselves to experience it. Because you know what? Anger has a place. Has anger ever moved you? to make a difference in someone's life because of what you've seen, right? So all of these emotions have their place when we can own them, when we can acknowledge them. But here's the piece. We have to own them or, and acknowledge them. Otherwise, we're just acting, reacting from them. So if I'm angry at Christy right now, and I'm not thinking about it, I am just going to go out and explode on Christy. Now, whatever I'm angry at Christy about might be a valid reason to be angry. So let me just own my anger for a minute. I might have to walk away from Christy for a minute. I might have to take a few deep breaths and remind myself, wow, I'm feeling really angry here. What is Christy here to show me? And she might be here to show me that I can respond differently. And so then I can take a breath and remember what is my true nature. My true nature is that essence of the divine. And so here I am feeling angry, and this angry is Anger is causing me to do or say or be something, but let me do or be or say whatever that is, not from the place of anger, but from the place of remembering who I am in truth as I accept that this anger is a part of that. As I accept that, you know what, we all get angry. And now I can talk with Christy with compassion. I say, you know what, Christy, that really made me angry. And we can do that with one another, can't we? Be open and honest and truthful with one another. But when we don't own those emotions, those emotions own us. What do you see out in the world? What do you see in the mirror of life? What do you see? A big old nothing? What is it? Anger. How many of you see anger in the world? Yeah. You see an old man. John says, when I look in the mirror, I see an old man. 
Well, you know what? Life doesn't allow us to, to see those old men and old women, right? They're, it's all about being young and being youthful and using this cream and that cream to keep our way, self that way, right? Like, we have no further value when we're 80 or 90. That's what that mirror of life. So do I think that I have no value because I'm aging? Or do I recognize and realizing, okay, I don't really like getting older, but it's a fact of life. It's who I am. What is it here to teach me? Right? And I'm still vital and alive and, and, and um, eternal. Right? So even that mirror of life has something to teach us. That mirror of lack, of limitation, of separation. Anybody see that out in the world? What is it here to teach me? What is it here to show you? Somebody, I told the, the group last, um, at 9 o'clock service, you know, we're, obviously we're going to practice this, right? We're going to practice this. So my practice last week came Monday morning, first thing. So somebody shared with me after service last time that their practice came in service. <laughs> As there were some people being a little loud and a little noisy. Do you ever get irritated by that? Right? So what's that mirror telling you? What's that mirror there to reveal? Oh my gosh, I feel so angry and uptight. They're making a lot of noise. I wish they'd shut up and we might them out of that anger, right? But then we need to look into this. I wish that they would stop making so much noise. Be aware of what's going on around them. How many times do you or I get so caught up in what we're doing that there's no longer any awareness of anybody else around us? Do you ever do that? And so in recognizing that, oh, look, it's shown up. It's shown up to reveal a part of me that does the same thing. Now I can hold them with some compassion. And I still might need to say something because it's not that we can't acknowledge and, and change things. But now I speak from that place of compassion. I don't know if you were aware of what an impact your voices were having on the, on the um, people here. Perhaps you could just quiet it down a touch. This is a whole lot different than being in anger, isn't it? Can you feel the difference? i got to practice it. Anybody else have to practice it? Yeah. Yeah. I'm glad I'm not alone. So we have our spiritual practice. As you go through the activity of your week, become aware of the times that you are projecting your shadow onto someone else. How do you know? How do you know that that's what you're doing? This is an open book test. The answer's on the screen behind me. <laughs> judgment and blame, Vivian. Good job. Judgment and blame, right? When you feel yourself in judgment and blame towards somebody out there. Now, it was also pointed out to me between services, so I want to clarify. Judgment is actually one of our 12 powers. We know it by a different name. Anybody know what that name is? Discernment. What else? Wisdom, the power of wisdom. And like all of our powers, we can use that power in alignment with truth or out of alignment with truth. So alignment with truth is that that power of wisdom, of judgment, helps us to discern the next right thought, to hold the next right word, to speak the next right action to take. 
out of alignment, what do you think that judgment is doing? Condemning, blaming, pointing fingers. Do you see the difference? So one is all about me. What am I learning and growing and stretching to? How am I showing up? And the other is all about you and life out there and how it must change. So I want everybody to be really clear about what I mean when you hear yourself judging, blaming. So then what? Then we take a breath. That's what I did on Monday morning. I took a breath. Okay, I'm feeling this. I'm aware that I'm feeling this. But what is coming up here to be healed inside of me? What idea am I holding? What belief? What shadow part of me have I pushed down that I need to now acknowledge and allow myself to heal that idea? The idea that I need to be a good girl that keeps me from showing up as my authentic self, for example. Be still. Listen. And then what are you willing to accept that you're seeing out there, but it's really about yourself? And then affirm, I accept all aspects of me, and the gift of healing, these aspects are here to encourage. Can you affirm that with me right now? I accept all aspects of me, and the gift of healing, these aspects are here to encourage. Spiritual bypass is a spirituality that's only halfway there, right? It's like from this place up. It can only be happy. It can only be good. It can only be, you know, what we, what we would say is spiritual. But we're talking about the wholeness. And the wholeness invites us to dig deep into the shadow to see what is there to be revealed through this experience. It's what the entire walk through the crucifixion experience was about. It's what take up your cross and follow me is about. It's about being willing to look deeply at those places and, and own those as well. And that way, the shadow will no longer have the power. Right? The true essence will have the power and the ego, the shadow, will be at work for that true essence that you and I are. You think you got some work to do this week? Yeah? Well, we'll do it together, right? Because we're going to remember as we do this work, remember last week the idea that we shared that it's these dilemmas, these challenges, these things that come up in our life that cause us to move to our next round of evolution. And that's what we're here to do, to evolve and birth this greater reality. 